0: God, let's uh, stand and pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. De Makut, Tiesa Tata Hai Malorotabukora Tabahai Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Valorot a bokorra táhajja, tjei Tahaya a bokosáta hajja, tjei kolorot a bokorra táta hajja, tjei táta <speaking in Hebrew> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <clears throat> <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God! I apologize for rushing in here at the last minute. I was ready to leave the house about forty-five minutes ago, and ministry broke out. So, (laughs) because I believe in go and flow. I I believe more ministry takes place outside the pulpit than in it. So if you're sensitive to the flow, you flow. Praise God. I, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna do something very transparent here today. I am. Uh, I'm going to tell you that the Lord and I have had some discussions about today. Because <laughs> yesterday in the uh, in the under the throes of the anointing of that prayer yesterday afternoon, the Lord gave very specific instructions on what the last four sessions were going to be. And uh, he doesn't always do that most of the time I don't know what the next session is gonna be till the next session. But uh <clears throat> he did and I didn't really think about it too much. I just said, Okay, 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 okay. But it was so clear and so strong and I'm going, okay. But then I got home yesterday afternoon and uh went up to my computer, started praying and was looking at some things and I'm going, Huh? And then last night before I could go to bed I I looked at these subjects again, and I went, really? And this morning he and I, I'm saying, "Lord now, surely I have missed you here. this can't be can't be you, because if <clears throat> if I was in charge, this is not how I would do it. I'm being as serious with you as I can be." If I was in charge last night, would have been tonight. Seriously. If I was in charge last night, would have been tonight, and then you would have gone home on that high. My ears are still ringing. Literally, my ears are still ringing. Uh, it was so loud when you were praying that... Uh, the, the, the force of the sound was was literally I, it was a weird thing. It was really weird. It was kinda just kinda sapping the strength out of me. And then when you shouted, I I, I don't, you know, it was like whew, I kinda reeled there a little bit because it was the force of it was just absolutely amazing. I it made me dizzy there for a minute. I I've never quite experienced that before, but it was really, really, really amazing. So wow That would have been tonight if I was in charge, not last night. And if I was in charge, I wouldn't be teaching what I'm about to teach, or this afternoon, probably not tonight. (laughs) And I I am as as serious as I can be. I'm not joking about this. I'm not not just saying this. Literally, if I was in charge, there's nothing wrong with this today, I just, he hasn't told me how this fits, okay, not that he has to, but I kind of like to know, okay, why, you know, well, he will explain why after it's over with, that's, um, (laughs) there are five, here we go, there are five parts to the will of God, you do not know the full will of God till you know all five parts. And he never reveals all five parts at one time, ever. First two parts he always reveals is who and what. The third part is the where. And sometimes he will reveal who, what, and where. Sometimes it's who and what, and then later it'll be where. And then sometimes he will wait and reveal where with the last two, and the last two are how and when. And that's his timing mechanism. Because until you know how and when, you don't know the will of God, and you're not supposed to do it. There's one part of the will of God that he will never tell you in advance. Ever. And that's why. Tell you who, what, where, how, and why. He will. Uh, who, what, where, how, and when? Excuse me, but he will never tell you why. Sometimes you'll you'll understand it afterwards. Sometimes he'll tell you after the fact why, and then sometimes he'll say, uh, you, you, "You'll get that one day. Stand up before my throne. You'll figure it out then." So. He didn't answer my question. So, if you want to remain standing, because you will be seated a little while. We will go to Luke chapter 10, verse beginning with verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful or full of care and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You may be seated. <clears throat> one thing I have learned about flow is the Lord has no reservation <clears throat> about having you say stuff you've said before. I was I was uh, early last year, 2013, I was teaching the uh, South Texas District prayer program uh, Comfort summit, whatever it was, I don't know. And uh, I was just flowing and doing what I learned to do. And after about four sessions, this lady came up to me and said, you told every one of my favorite stories except one. Because she had listened to all the call to war and other stuff. And so apparently, uh, I... Repeated things and, and, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I didn't ask her which one it was. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't ever, ever pull a sermon out and preach it that I've preached before. Ever. Does the Lord give me direction? To talk about whatever, yeah, yeah, he does. And the fact that I have ministered that someplace before uh, It's not the issue. And because it's never the same twice when the Holy Ghost is flowing, never. It's never the same. And <laughs> many years ago, I made the mistake of if there was a message and it was a tremendous flow and God really was speaking to transcribe that and then make me a set of notes from that and then the next time try to stick with that set of notes and boy did that not work. Not if you're looking for flow. Not if you're not performing. It doesn't work. So this particular thought, way back before laptops, I, I first started studying the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, with a Strong's Concordance, with a Vine's book, and with an Englishman's Concordance, and a Thayer's Lexicon, and a Brown Driver and Briggs Old Testament Lexicon, Hebrew Lexicon. And I had a book bag, one of those rectangular book bags, and I traveled with all of those books, and I'm, I'm flying to Idaho uh, to speak in a meeting, and this would be March of 88, and uh, the plane is crammed, and I'm up against the window, and there's somebody in the middle seat, and I got my book bag stuck underneath the seat in front of me, and and and, and I'm sitting there praying, I got my face turned to the window and praying and the Lord begins to talk to me and I had never seriously looked at these verses in depth before and the and the Lord directed me to begin to do that so I uh, <laughs> I pulled that bag out from underneath the seat and put it behind my legs so I could reach in it and I got my little I used those little small yellow legal notepads. That's what I took all my notes on. And I started going down through every one of these words. Looking at words and thinking, well, there's probably not anything significant there. And the Holy Ghost says, look anyway. So I'd pull out my... My strong, the, the, the dictionary, the, the uh, with the Strong's numbers. Uh, what, what's, what's that, what's that old primary concordance? What is that? Is it a Strong's concordance? Strong's concordance with dictionary. That's what it was, right? And, and I'd pull that one out and I'd look up that verse and, I'd see what the word was, and then I'd go to the strong's dictionary, and I'd put that back in, and pull my vines out, and I looked at, I put that back in, and pull, pull. Out, I, seriously, and the problem was this: the Holy Ghost soul began to talk to me, verse by verse, word by word, compounded one word above the next. I'm sitting there with tears streaming down my face. I can't hardly see. And I'm frantically switching books back and forth, trying to take notes. And I can't even see the page hardly. And you could feel the tension all around. Because these people are thinking, what is wrong with this guy? And I went and preached this message. That was the, I preached these scriptures. In that particular church that night, having never been there, not knowing anything about them, and not realizing that was God's last effort to save that preacher and that church before they ultimately went into false doctrine. (laughs) I have uh, only ministered from these verses a few times, and that's only when God has specifically directed it. And I'm being as honest and transparent with you as I can. After you have endured Tuesday night and survived and you endured the three sessions Tuesday, Wednesday, and survived. And you endured the three sessions yesterday and survived and apparently flourished a little bit in spite of it. I don't know why the Lord wants you to hear this. It doesn't make sense to me. Have we got that clear? Okay, so, here we go. Because, okay, thank you, Lord, I'll tell him. (laughs) Okay, here's why. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I really just work here. <laughs> and and, 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 and in, the, in the military, it's need to know. <laughs> and it's need to know with Jesus, too. You have to have a need to know. Well, here's the need. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Here's why. <laughs> because as much as God has done in some of your lives, oh, Jesus, if you don't get this this morning, you're going to go home and it's only a matter of time till you go right back to what you were before let's pray jesus jesus have mercy on us father oh jesus Makata God, help Jesus' name, Mala I told you last night that I had been molested when I was five. And for 33 years, I suffered with shame. Not really understanding it, having no idea what it was doing to me. All I knew was that I spent a lot of my time hating myself. And when I wasn't hating myself, I was trying to be good, do good. Praise God. Brother... Uh, you or somebody, would you see if you could locate Brother Johnson and see if he can set that temperature back to seventy? Because it's a little bit stuffy, isn't it? Maybe turn on a few of these fans. Uh, the problem is, you think the heat's on. I tell you a secret: we don't have a heater hooked up to this auditorium; only an air conditioner. And the building collapsed, and we redid this so we could have an auditorium. Uh, We foamed all of this so it's like you're sitting in a thermos bottle. And without any heat, it rarely ever gets cooler than about 65 in here. And if you get enough people in here worshiping, it quickly jumps to 75. Praise God. Sorry. I saw some of you fanning yourself, and I thought, oh, well, you, I'm not the only one that's roasting. Hmm. What was I talking about before I interrupted myself? Somebody help me. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So, uh, the Lord, uh, in my desperation, because I couldn't go on any farther, uh, He told me to go over to Delaware to a church service. There was a man there he had spoken to me, about me, spoken to about me. And I went over there. And uh, I'd only ever met this man once, shook his hand, and he wasn't near as well-known then as he is now. His name was Lee Stone King. And uh, to not get too far off in this little rabbit trail, uh, he ministered to me. And uh, the Lord showed him what was going on, and it, the Lord would have had to have, because I'd have never told him, not voluntarily, because I'd never discussed it with anybody. And uh, the Lord touched me, and, it, and I was delivered that night. I was on a Tuesday night on a Saturday morning. I'm sitting in my office and studying, and the phone rang. And uh, it's the only time Brother Stone King's ever called me. And he said, uh, Brother Wright, I've been praying for you this morning. The Lord spoke to me. Now, this was February of 1984. He said, uh, last fall, I, I preached for Brother Kilgore for six weeks, and we had a lot of people get the Holy Ghost. And in that revival, there was a man who had been born in that church, and he was born totally deaf, He'd been baptized, received the Holy Ghost, and he he was a faithful member of that church. And in that revival, God completely and totally healed him. The doctors verified that he was completely, 100% healed. His hearing was absolutely perfect. But he said it was a curious thing that happened. Because he'd been around there all that, all his life, he wasn't treated like a new person which, in fact, he really was a new person. He said now he didn't fit with all of his deaf friends in the church because he was a hearing person, and that was awkward now. But the hearing people didn't know they needed to bring him in like they would any new person coming to church and give him people to fellowship with. So he doesn't have anybody to fellowship with. He doesn't have anybody that's drawn him in. And Brother Stone King said, and he was so distressed over this and didn't know how to talk to anybody about this till he reached the place that six weeks after his miracle, he had willed himself completely deaf again. And he said, Brother Wright, we both know God has given you a great miracle. But if you don't learn how to live with your miracle, you're going to lose your miracle. I'm going to tell you something right now. I didn't do that last night. We all know that, but I'm stating it publicly. I didn't do that. That was not manipulation. That was not psychology. That was a move of the Holy Ghost. Okay? We all know that. But the problem with any miracle is, what do you do with it today? Because you're, st- you're not still feeling all of that. So if you will receive this message in that context, this will assure that when you get home, you will truly be a changed prayer. Praise God. And, of course, this isn't just for those that are sitting here right now. Some that have had to leave already, I'm sure, will watch this. Others have watched it. We'll watch it. Uh, Monday night session's already been watched about 1,200 times uh, as far as computers or devices signed on, and we don't know how many people that is, and that's God's plan, and I'm glad of it. We don't really know how many. He does. We don't. So, here we go. At first glance, this short five scripture text seems to be of no great significance. It seems like Jesus is simply refereeing a dispute between two siblings. Siblings. But I'm going to say to you, there's probably no place in the scripture where in such a short amount of scripture, in a more concise and specific manner, is the difference between those who practice their faith as religion and those whose faith have led them to participate in relationships. And as I sat on that airplane that day, and, and, and the Lord led me verse by, word by word, verse by verse through these verses, and we don't have the time to go into every word. But if you ever really want to do a personal study where you can make something your own, I would encourage you to honestly study every word. Because essentially, Every word has a great significance in this whole message. It says, now when it came to pass, this is verse 38, when it came to pass, now it came to pass. As they went, he entered into a certain village. Jesus and his his disciples, the ones that followed him, and it wasn't just 12, you understand that. This was a large group of people. Of course, there was the inner circle of the 12. But this was a large group of people. Males and females that traveled together with Jesus. He didn't turn anybody away. If you wanted to lay down your life and go follow him wherever he went, he gladly accepted you. And in their journey, they came to this house uh, in Bethany, which, as you study the scripture, you find that this was a pretty regular stopping place. These same two ladies and their brother are the focal point of the narrative in John 11 where Jesus came to this same house sometime after all of this, nearing the end of his ministry, apparently after having been to this house on many occasions, he apparently had not only a spiritual relationship, but a personal relationship, human to human, the human part of them within. That's why when the message came to him, that Lazarus was dead. It's Lazarus, your friend is sick. Lazarus, your friend is sick. Lazarus, your friend. He, he was not a stranger to this house. Honestly, he was not a stranger to these two women who they were, what they were, what they were about. I don't have the time to do it today, but it is really not a difficult biblical proof to prove that Mary of Bethany, Martha's sister, is one and the same with Mary Magdalene. And if you see that, that further explains why Mary was so greatly devoted to him. Well, how can she be two people? I, I don't know. How can he be Jesus of Bethlehem and Jesus of Nazareth? Is he two people? They got confused with that because they said... Uh, he can't be the Messiah. He's from Nazareth and we all know the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem. Well, how could that be? This is the same Mary that we see her conversion. And we know this when you compare scripture to scripture, while the woman is not named who came into the Pharisee's house and washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with the hairs of her head and then took this precious ointment and anointed his feet and the Pharisee judging him for letting her touch him. How did a sinner get into the Pharisee's house? Family member. And that Simon the Pharisee has to be also a man who came down with leprosy and Jesus healed. Because Mary and Martha are connected to this Simon the Pharisee and they're connected to Simon the leper who was healed. And when you really begin to study all of that out and see how all these things are so intricately related, which I don't have time to go into all of it today, but uh, it is, it's an amazing study. But the only way that woman could have gotten the Pharisee's house is that was her dad's house. And to keep from being embarrassed... He wasn't going to point all that out in front of everybody because he'd already put her out of his house when she fell into sin. And she apparently had to move to Magdala to get away from Bethany because he wasn't very happy with her. And in my opinion, (laughs) this is all reflected in the attitude of Martha. I have been faithful to this house. she was apparently the oldest sister her her mother's not the mother's never mentioned in any scripture whatsoever, so apparently the mother was dead. That makes Martha the oldest sister the 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 the, uh, the matron of the house and her younger sister's already embarrassed everybody with her sin and yeah, Jesus has forgiven her, and Jesus has forgiven her i 'm not sure Martha has. So Martha's always questioning Mary's sincerity. People that have a hard time believing in their own miracles surely doesn't trust somebody, trust other people's miracles. They don't trust other people's miracles. Because they can't trust their own. So it was, uh, this, this is, <laughs> if you think the tension between the two brothers in the story of the prodigal was great, actually in that situation the tension was between the dad and the older brother over the younger brother. But in this situation, it's even more heightened Because, oh, Lord, I can can just begin to see all the labels that the PC people will put on this statement I'm about to make. (laughs) That's because women are far more competitive than men are. They really are. My God. And, of course, the big smoke screen that's always put out there is women just want to look down on a man because they're into sports. Men are so competitive. No, 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 no. What they're really saying is how foolish men are that they compete over meaningless things because we women compete over really important stuff. So anyway. With that a little bit of background, they show up at Martha's house on this occasion. Notice, now it came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village, and we know later this is Bethany, and a certain woman named Martha received him into... What? Wait, she's got a brother? I'm gonna really get, get out there for, with you right now, okay? She actually had two brothers. You might know her other brother, Judas. But we'll leave that alone right now, okay? So she had two brothers, she has a sister, but it's her house. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is her house. Now, now listen to this. This is really some amazing stuff. All of this is wrapped up in this one word received. The word received means to admit under one's roof, to entertain hospitably, to receive as a guest. She received him in a friendly manner under her roof and entertained him hospitably. Listen to this now. International Bible, Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this, and this is just a paragraph. Oriental customs growing out of a nomadic life demanded, demand a greater abandon and freedom with respect to relate to the relation of host and guest than are permitted by the conventionalities of Western life. A householder is expected to entertain a traveler, and in turn the traveler may accept with perfect ease the hospitality shown without any obligation to pay. The significance of the word is that, the word received, is that of one, is that of one who is called or invited. A certain sacredness unknown to the modern Western society was attached to the guest so that a special apartment was often set aside for guests. Here's what you gotta get. You gotta get the pressure. That Martha was under. Society. Convention. All put pressure on her. To perform. And because her sister. Has already embarrassed the house. Martha is under this huge pressure to dot all the I's and cross all the T's to make sure that her hostessing and fulfilling the expectations of the society of her world when it comes to entertaining guests are all met so that if, if she's not, uh, at the least she's not criticized, but at the most she's complimented for how much she excels at her service. Pressure. Pressure. We got some folks sitting here that walked in here Tuesday night under the pressure of expectations, of the, under the pressure of Pentecostal conventions, under the pressure of our culture, not the Word of God, our culture. So here's Martha. She is, she is doing it. As we'll see in, according to a couple other references, she was going over the top. Because this wasn't just any guest, even though he had been in her house on other occasions, this was the Messiah. And while most of them believed he was the Messiah, They only believed to whatever degree of their understanding because we find out even with the twelve that there was stuff he said that they didn't even believe about him. Because they got rebuked after the resurrection for their unbelief. The twelve did. So we know that to say these people believed he was the Messiah is a very gross overgeneralization. But in her mind, she had some faith in him because he she was the instigator of sending the message to Jesus about your friend Lazarus who's sick. Please come and pray for him real quick. He's going to die. So her way, her way of showing Jesus how much faith she had was how hard she served him. Her way of showing her faith was how hard she worked at serving him. You got to get this. You got to get this. And oh, I was raised in a UPC, that that was what was preached. You live for God, you work for God, you try hard, you try hard. And if that's not good enough, you try harder. And even if it's not approached quite to the same degree in methodology today, it is still our culture. Try hard. Serve hard. Dot the I's. Cross the T's. And don't go reading into what I'm saying that I don't believe the message, don't believe holiness and all that. I'll debate anybody in this room or anybody anywhere over the, the what's the gospel? Acts 2.38, the oneness of God and the importance biblically of external holiness or external separation, which indicates internal holiness. So don't go reading into what I'm saying here. But oh God... Put, put Romans 10, 1 on the screen for me, please. Here is the trap the people of God, the Old Testament, fell into, and we are, have fallen into the same trap. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record. That they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. And I could just hear it now. Who are you to tell us we don't have any knowledge? Well, let's find out what knowledge we're talking about. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. It was preached to me, taught to me all my life that you are holy as an event and you must, and being righteous as a process, you live right to be righteous. There's a slight problem with that. Neither one of those can be supported by scripture. In fact, There are people that attack me for taking this position, but they don't want to discuss it with me from Scripture because they don't want to see they're wrong. And I'm not saying I'm right, they're wrong. I'm saying the Bible's right. And we teach stuff we don't verify in the book. The Scripture talks of the gift of righteousness, Romans 5.19. Righteousness is a gift. Because we don't understand what righteousness is. The root concept of righteousness is innocence. And if you offend at one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. Once you're guilty, you can't ever be righteous again through your efforts. Because there is no society or government in the world, including ours, That a guilty person can eliminate their guilt by doing right. You cannot eliminate your guilt. You cannot become innocent if you're guilty by doing good things. So if you're going to be innocent, there's only one way to get it. Ah... 2 Corinthians five 21. I'm coming back to Romans 10 and 3. 2 Corinthians 12, 5, 21. Thank you. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made or become or come into being in us the righteousness of God in him. Hello. That's how you get righteous. We're guilty, he's innocent. He took our guilt on himself, paid the penalty for that guilt, and then that then we have imputed or imparted to us his innocence. How do we get that? For as many as are baptized into Christ and put on Christ. Galatians three twenty seven. That's how you get his righteousness. It's a gift. Being righteous is an it's an event. Just like you can go through a whole trial. But when the judge gives the verdict, that's an event. The trial might be a process. But the, but the declaration of your guilt or innocence is an event. And that's what happened. Jesus provided all of that. He substituted you at the defendant's table. And he was the defense attorney and the prosecuting attorney. And he found you guilty, and he went beyond what any defense attorney said. Okay, my client is guilty, but I'm going to serve his time. He can go free. And the judge, the father of us all, says, I'll accept that. He paid the price. We're innocent. Romans 10.3. But they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What does this have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with prayer. Because the Lord gives his ear to the prayer of the righteous. Seek ye, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst... After righteousness. Well, you said holiness is not an event. No, it's not and after, at the end of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 when he talks about what fellowship hath light with darkness and, and temple of God with idols and all of that and he said come out from among them be ye separate saith the Lord and I'll receive you and I, you, I'll be to you a God and you'll be to me a people and, and, and of course the chapter divisions divide up the thought because Second Corinthians 7 1 continues the thought having therefore these promises what were the promises? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be to your God, you'll be to me and my children. So those are the promises. And 2 Corinthians 7-1 says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the participle. It means it's not an event. It's a long time process. There's never a point in time you can declare yourself holy. Never. It is an everyday process of cleansing your flesh and your spirit. And oh God, in Pentecost have we gotten good at cleaning the outside and leaving mess on the inside. Because if you understood this verse, you could never point your finger at somebody else and say they're not holy enough. Because it's a process and the book says judge nothing before the time. And the very fact that we condemn one another because we don't measure up to this or that or the other proves we don't have a clue. Of, about the We're ignorant of God's righteousness and we're ignorant of God's holiness. Because if you really study what the scripture says about holiness, you're a fool to judge somebody else. And so why would you judge somebody else? To cover up what's really on the inside, that the outside looks all great, but the inside, it's got problems. But because it's filthiness of the spirit, we can hide that behind our whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. This perfectly describes Martha. Martha. got the picture now you got Mary raised under the strictness of a Pharisee whether by choice or just being so pressed down and having such little confidence in herself whichever way in rebellion or just in absolute despair she gives up on this life She falls into sin. And if Mary Magdalene is really Mary of Bethany, it is implied she was a prostitute. So she didn't fall into sin, just fall into sin. In despair, she just gave her life to that because she's put out of the house. She has no way to support herself. And so in the depth of her sin, she sells her body for a living. And she hears about this Jesus. She hears about this Jesus. And how that he has stood against the judgmental attitude of the Pharisees. It's not that the truth part of what they were saying was wrong. It was the attitude and spirit of it. And so she she dares to come back into her father's house. And in great humility, she she falls down at his feet. Her tears are so abundant that she washes his feet using her tears as the source of the water. And because she didn't dare touch anything in the house, she used her long hair. How long did it have to be to dry his hair, his feet with her hair? And then she kissed his feet. And the Pharisee, standing back with his arms folded, going, if this was a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was, and he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, said, you know, here's what he did. The first time he was ever in this house, the one that we're talking about here with Mary Martha, the dad did not extend the normal customary requirements of a host because the normal customary requirements of a host was to provide a servant with a basin of water to wash your feet with a towel to dry your feet. And because of the arid climate of that land... With some kind of oil to anoint your face and skin with because of the dryness of the land. That was expected of any good host to anyone coming in. And Jesus called him on it. He said, Simon, I came into your house. You, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet. This woman has washed my feet with her tears. You didn't provide me a towel to dry my feet with. She dried my feet with the, with the hair of her head. You didn't give me any ointment for my, my head. But she's taken this precious ointment and anointed my feet. Simon, who loves the most? The one that's been forgiven the most or for, the one that's forgiven the least? And Simon says, the one that's forgiven most, he said it. Here she is, right here. And so he says to the woman in front of her dad, "Woman, thy sins are forgiven. You go and sin no more." Whoa! So the only thing that dad could do to keep from having to forgive the daughter that he won't forgive is accuse Jesus. Who do you think you are, forgiving? So I don't know where Martha was. She's not mentioned in that event, but her house. She was the matron of the house. Her mother is not on the scene. Never mentioned. She had to be there in the background. So this relationship continues sometime after... Uh, sometime after that first event, Simon the Pharisee becomes Simon the leper and apparently Jesus healed him. And that changed everything in that house. He then become, became a part of the house. Friend of the house. This was, this was one of his favorite stopping places. So again, Martha is doing everything she can to serve him. Fulfill all of the expectations. Of culture and custom. She, verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. The word sat means to seat oneself, to sit beside it implies close down close by and the root word implies the attitude of being immovable i'm in this spot nobody's moving me luke 10:40 ooh here's when the fat hits the fire woo But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. I'm going to tell you what. I'm not implying my ability or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. But almost every word in that verse is a... You could preach on that word by itself alone. That word by itself could be, would be would would be amazing message if you study it out and preach that preach about that what that one word means in that situation. Huh. Get this, Martha was cumbered about much serving. The, listen. The word cumbered here, now this is the Holy Ghost that said this about her. Okay? The Holy Ghost is describing her mental and emotional and spiritual state before she opens her mouth. Get that? The Holy Ghost is describing her mental and emotional and spiritual state before she ever opens her mouth. She is cumbered. The word cumbered means to drag all around. Figuratively to, figuratively to distract with care. <laughs> Thayer says it means to draw around, to draw away, to distract, to be driven about mentally, to be distracted, to be overoccupied, too busy about a thing. Vine says, to draw around, draw away, distract, is used in the passive voice in the sense of being over-occupied about a thing. Vincent says it's, this word is only used here in all of the New Testament Greek. The verb literally means to draw from around. Martha's attention, instead of centering around Jesus, was drawn hither and thither. She was drawn from Jesus to serving. She was drawn from Jesus to serving. And in doing so, the motive for serving changed. <laughs> I've been in ministry 46 years. This is so more common than relationship, it's ridiculous. In fact, in the average Pentecostal church today, this far more describes the people sitting in the seats than Mary does. And here is the shocker. She was cumbered about much serving. And the word serving here is the exact Greek word that is used positively in numerous situations in the Greek New Testament about our role and responsibility. It's the same word. In her mind, she was ministering. But when you separate Jesus from your ministering, that is a problem. When it becomes more about ministering than it does about Jesus, Get this. It, this simple little word, right? She came to him without understanding what the word is, what it means. You, you could, you know, she walked casually, walked up to him, or she just kind of appeared at his side, or she came up and whispered in his ear, or, or. Robertson says what Rupp's word picture says that this word is in the aggressive aorist tense here and really means she's stepping up to or bursting in or upon Jesus. It is an explosive act as in the speech of Martha. She's in the kitchen, wherever, whatever. She's serving. She's got Jesus in the house. She's got people out there, including... Including the disciples, she's she's responsible. I don't know how much help she had in her kitchen, but it wasn't enough because Martha, Mary wasn't there. You see, it doesn't matter how much help you got when you got a problem with somebody. The only one you miss is the one you think ought to be there. And she is under pressure, and the pot's boiling. The pot's boiling, it's boiling, it's just, it's, it. and so when she came into the room, it was an explosion. She didn't come in quietly, she didn't come in respectfully. In fact, please, uh unless I ask some of the verse, put the verse I'm using on the screen and leave it there if you don't mind, thank you. Martha's coming about, my servant came to him and said, she bursts in there and uses the Greek, the Greek word used there to describe was, she commanded him. She used a tone of command with him after she accused him first. Lord, don't you care? Hey, I've heard that one before. I think they were in a boat in a storm, and he was asleep, and they didn't come to him and say, uh, "Jesus, we had a problem here. You know, the, the boat's filling up with water, and we're we're pretty seasoned fishermen, and we know we don't have long here. And so, could you help us out?" No, no, no. The way they woke him up out of sleep was, "Don't you care? We're about to perish." How many times in our frustration when we think we've thought our service has earned us something from God? And we weren't getting what we needed when we needed it. We don't come and fall at his feet and say, have mercy, Lord. No, no. We're not the blind man by the side of the road. Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. No. We come bursting in on Jesus in our anger and frustration. Don't you care about what I'm going through? And if you're sitting here and you've never done that, God bless you. Cuz I can't plead guilt innocent on that one. Don't you care? I can hear it. I can feel it cuz I've done it. Don't you care? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see how frustrated I am? Don't you see how how hard this is? You you you've asked me to do this. I remember boy, we were we were growing. And let me tell you something. Growing is more stressful than not growing. Because growth creates problems you didn't have. So we were growing, and we don't have any money. And we bought buses. I don't know how we bought them. And we're paying for gas. And I got a guy in the church, a mechanic, and he's doing all the work for free. And he's keeping the buses up. And and, and there were a couple of buses somebody called me about. And 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 if I could have got them, we could have grown some more. And so and so I I, I I you know the guy told me the price, and it was a decent price, but but we didn't have any money. And so I'm praying, oh God, supply, you know. And nothing was happening, nothing was happening, nothing was happening and I just lost it. I was at the church by this little church building we had by ourselves by myself. I come out of that back office. I went to the altar and I began to walk up and down. You called me here. You told me to reach this city. You told me these people are going to hell and I'm trying to reach them but you're not giving me any money. How am I supposed to buy these buses? How are we supposed to reach these people if you're not going to give me any money? You know the miracle? I'm still here. still here (laughs) you ever want to know if god's merciful i'm living testimony to it i'm still here and you can say well you didn't really do that did you, brother right no i toned it down some i was upset so i can understand martha I, i i you know i don't say i agree with her i can understand it she came bursting in that room and she didn't, she, at that point, she didn't care who heard her or what they thought about what she was saying. She had reached her limit with Jesus and Mary. And she lumped the two of them together because, because if he cared about Martha as much as he did Mary, he wouldn't let Mary sit there knowing all that Martha was going through. Does the church need to be cleaned? Yeah. The bathrooms need to be cleaned? Yeah. Does the grass need to be cut? Sure. All that needs to be done. What do you do if there's somebody that could be doing that? has got time to do it. But all they want to do is pray. They're just going to pray. You know, praying's good. But this grass ain't going to cut itself. Really? Really she came to him, and in, a, in an authoritative voice, she said, "Don't you care?" And the word means to be of interest to, to have concern for. It signifies that something is an object of care, especially the thought of the care of forethought or interest, rather than anxiety. Haven't you given any forethought to this? You're letting her sit there while I'm doing all this. And to me, that demonstrates you don't care about me. This was a reproach to Jesus, according to Robertson's, for monopolizing Mary to Martha's hurt. Let me read this to you. She was harassed with different cares and employments at the same time. One drawing one way and another another. A proper description of a worldly mind. But in Martha's favor, it may be justly said that all her anxiety was to provide suitable and timely entertainment for our Lord and his disciples. For this is the sense in which the word serving, diakonia, the word for ministry, should be taken. And we should not, on the merest supposition, attribute earthly mindedness to a woman whose character stands unimpeachable in the gospel, and who, by entertaining Christ and his disciples and providing liberally for them, gave the highest proof that she was influenced by liberality and benevolence, and not by parsimony or covetousness. All that's good to be said about her. I read that for, to you for in her defense. The problem was the heart. The motive and spirit behind what she was doing. It was why she was doing it. Why? 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 Why is motive? And there's very few things that have no more ability to determine the outcome of your prayers and the fruitfulness of your service than your motive in doing it. And while God wants you to trust him with what he does and will not not tell you why in advance, why you are doing what you're doing is of prime importance to God. For instance, Galatians three and five, 6, five and six. Excuse me. It, this simple statement it's not even the whole verse. Grace worketh by love. Love is the motive; therefore, it's also the empowerer. And it is love, agape, that motive that motivates, activates, and operates faith and if you're trying to operate faith without love as the motive you have to question whether or not it's really faith that you're operating the prayer Jesus taught us to pray not repeat the words but he the, he, the lord teaches us to pray and he did i don't know why The Gospel of Luke doesn't include the last verse that Matthew does. But to me, one of the most critical verses or or parts of that prayer is the very last one. Because that very last one is your motive check. After you pray to our Father, which art in heaven, you pray about His name being hallowed or sanctified in hearts and minds of people, and you pray about His kingdom coming in manifestation. You pray about the will of God, His purposed in heaven, is, is done on earth through through the human agency as God plans. You pray the protective prayer over the over the the the, 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 the provisions of the warrior. We're told not to pray for food. And yet he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that a contradiction? No. Because as children, we don't have to pray for our bread because the Father's going to supply it. But no one goes to war on his own charges. So therefore, what you're told to pray is if you're a faithful soldier involved in God's army, you're simply praying a prayer of protection over the provision of, of the warrior and of course then you know forgive me my sins and i forgive those as i forgive others so the prayer of forgiveness here is presupposed or pre, predetermined to be founded upon your forgiveness forgive me because i prove i'm demonstrating to you that i understand that i don't have a right to ask for forgiveness if i don't forgive and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the Greek is there literally the evil one. And then we pray this. Here's the motor check. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever, amen. I have prayed these things, but I haven't prayed these for my benefit. I haven't prayed these so I could be known. I haven't prayed these so that I could profit from them. I have prayed these in in obedience to your command. For your glory, for your profit, it's for your kingdom's sake. It's a motive check. Martha didn't have a motive check. Till she came in contact with Jesus. Now get this. Martha says to him, don't you care that my sister hath left me? The word left there means to leave down behind by implication to abandon. To forsake, to leave to oneself a person or a thing by ceasing to care for it. To abandon, to leave in the lurch. The tense is actually in the imperfect active. And Robertson says that means she was actually saying she keeps on leaving me. This indicates that she had been assisting before and was drawn off by Jesus' presence repeatedly. This isn't the first time happens, Jesus. When you're not around, she helps me in the kitchen. But when you show up, she forgets she has a job in this house. She forgets she has a responsibility to me. And here's the implication. And that responsibility to me is more important than her call to you and her draw to you. It's getting really clear, isn't it, why the Lord wanted this talk? Isn't it? Because if you go home and you go back to the rut you were in, all this spirit of prayer is eventually going to wane because the Lord has poured out the spirit of prayer. And if you go home and you entertain that and you give yourself to that and you let the spirit of prayer affect your priorities, you not only will retain the spirit of prayer, it will continue to grow and develop in your life and then it will become like fire. It will spread on others. But if you go back to what you were doing and to the pressures to perform that you were under before this meeting, it won't be long till the spirit of prayer is gone. Jesus, help us right now. Remember our frame. We're just dirt, Lord. You made us out of the dust. Have mercy upon us. Remember, remember how how easily we so often find it is to give in to our flesh and the pressures uh, the, the natural pressures of our spiritual existence, of the natural expectations of our religious culture. In Jesus' name, give us strength to stand against those pressures and to entertain and cultivate what you've given to us so that it might come to fruition, so that it might mature and produce what it is you're wanting to produce for you, for your kingdom, and for the purpose of reaching the lost of this world. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let it be so, Father. In Jesus' name, it is so, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It is, uh, it's not, it's not an accident that Martha uses the word serve or minister in her accusation to remind Jesus that what she's doing is ministry. Lord, don't you care that my my sister has le- abandoned me to minister by myself? All she's doing is sitting around with you, I'm ministering. You don't care about me. You're just letting her hang out with you. I'm ministering alone. You know how preachers get burnt out? They get burnt out because they are all alone. Nobody understands me. There's nobody there for me. There's nobody I can talk to. There's nobody that can help me. You understand when you keep saying nobody, you're meaning Jesus in there? Woe is me, poor me, I've been given this job, and it's so hard. I'm dealing with these hard-headed saints, and this is killing me. This is hard, oh, this is so hard. And I, nobody understands it, and everybody's criticizing me. And I, nobody thinks I can do anything right. And, oh, oh, woe is me. I just add my name to the list of martyrs. And here's what the real kicker is. (laughs) Jesus said, why don't you hush now before you make it worse? Nobody appreciates me. Nobody understands me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands how hard this is. I'm all alone. And here, here's what she does. You see that word "bid"? Martha commands Jesus to command Mary to help her. <laughs> now the book says, "I this awesome verse concerning the works of my hand, command ye me." That's not what this is talking about. This is not what that's talking about. I pray, I fast, I study, I preach, and nothing ever happens. The thing is dead and dying and getting worse. What does God want from me? Not what. It's not what he wants from you. It's who he wants from you. He wants you. you. You might want to write this down as simple as this is. Giving him your service without giving you him first voids all the service and makes it of no value to God at all. If you don't give him you first. Then everything you do for him. All of your service. Every bit of that. Becomes absolutely worthless. Because you didn't give you to him. The right, that's hard, that's harsh, that's that's too strong. Oh, really? Really? I mean, like there's not ten thousand verses to back that up Verses we don't want to hear. Let's go back one more time. What was that? Romans ten three? What did it say? Romans ten three? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness going about to establish their own righteousnesses or their own righteousness have not have not what? They've not what? They've not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. oh God my Lord I feel somebody in the house you know the whole problem in all of this one word what's the one word What is it? Submitted. Because the only way you can get his righteousness is to give up yourself to his way. To submit yourself unto his righteousness. And us going about trying to earn stuff by what we do in all of our service to him and to the church and whatever, all of that. All of that is because we're not submitted to his righteousness. We are not submitted to his righteousness. Because we're trying to earn it. We're trying to deserve it. We're trying to get God to say, You know, you've done so much good. I now see you as good. Now I've been seeing you as bad but you have turned the tide. You have now done so much and you've done it so well that I have to change my mind about you and say, you know what? You're not bad. You're good. Hello. Anybody here? Sure is quiet. Because that's the problem. I'm trying to use God to manipulate Him to help me change the way I see myself. Because I have not truly accepted and believed that He has forgiven me. I've been, I've repented. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I've actually received the Holy Ghost. But I still see myself like I was before I got saved. And the mistakes I've made since I got saved only confirmed to me how messed up I still am. And so I've got to change this somehow. I began in the Spirit, but I'm now trying to be made perfect by the flesh. I began in the Spirit. Because you can't get into God without beginning in the Spirit. What do you tell a person that's trying to receive the Holy Ghost? Yield. That's a synonym to submit. You can't earn the Holy Ghost. You can't deserve the Holy Ghost. You can't work for the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. It's a gift. I don't mean the Holy Ghost is it, but the experience of receiving the Holy Ghost, it. That experience is it. You can't have that experience because you've earned it or deserved it. So you have to begin in the spirit. And that's the condemnation. That's not condemnation from the devil. That's the evidence that proves you're guilty. Because to get in the kingdom, to be born again, you had to do it his way and submit to the spirit. But Paul said that the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to be made perfect by fleshly effort? I feel your pain. <laughs> you, you, you got to understand something about being a conduit. There's an awful lot of stuff that flows out. That you have to go ouch with it yourself. But that doesn't give you a right to not let it flow. Oh, this is hard, isn't it? This is difficult. I've been in situations like this where the Lord's saying stuff like that. And I've watched people just take all of their life and just crumple it up in a ball and shoot it in the basket and say, he just destroyed everything I do and the way reason I do it and I'm starting over with nothing I don't even have a clean sheet of paper to start with I don't have any paper at all he just took it all (laughs) well I know I'm the one holding the microphone and it's my face you're looking at and it's my raspy voice you're having to listen to but the words aren't mine And in your spirit, you know they're not mine because he's confirming to you in your spirit that he's the one doing the talking. Jesus' name. Now, she says, bid, bid her, let's go back to Romans, or Luke 10, uh, 40. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. This word help means this, to take hold of the opposite together, i.e. to cooperate or assist. Thayer says it means to lay hold along with to to strive to obtain with others. Help in obtaining. To take hold with another. To take hold, uh, Vine says, to take hold with at the side for assistance. To take a share in. To help in bearing. To help in general. Adam Clark says it means this. Order her Martha was saying, order her to unite her skill and strength with mine, that the present business may be done with that speed and in that order which the necessity and importance of the case demands. The problem is, how do you argue with that? People are there, they're hungry... Culture and custom says, you feed them. Somebody's got to fix that food. Pressure. Pressure. Get this. Jesus didn't deny the importance of what Martha was doing he denied the priority she was putting on it. And the fact that in having it out of priority, he wasn't helping her, and those that were fellowshipping with him weren't helping her because she was out of priority and out of sequence. Jesus had been away from the house for a while. You would think that Mary or Martha, would have wanted to have seen him, if nothing else to sit with him and say, "How you doing? What's been going on? Tell me about some of the stuff that's been happening. Have you said any new things that I haven't heard before? I'd, 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 I'd like to spend a little time with you here. then I'll go fix you something to eat. No. Nah. OK, Luke 10:41. Jesus has answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. By repeating her name, he just upped the intensity of what he was saying. Martha, Martha, thou art careful or full of care and troubled about many things. The Greek word answer means to conclude for oneself. In other words, he wasn't just responding. He was responding after making an evaluation of the situation. He looked at her heart, looked at the situation, and came up with an understanding and decided what was going on there and then responded based on what he discerned was happening. So it wasn't some off-the-cuff response. It wasn't the product of his emotional of an emotional reaction and defense mechanism to her accusation. He discerned the heart of the matter, what was really going on, and responded to her based on what he discerned the situation really was. And this is the thing that had to gall her no end. You know that sharp tone of voice, the command she used on him? The next Greek word, the one for said is the same word she used on him. So he spoke back to her like she spoke to him. And said, you're careful. That means in the Greek to be anxious about. To be anxious, to be troubled with cares, to care for, to look out for a thing, to seek. (laughs) Oh God, oh God. I can't look at you. If you're full of anxiety and care, Thayer says you're seeking to promote your own interests. That anxiety and care is always a product of putting your interests ahead of his. If you're all under pressure, full of anxiety and care and frustration, it's the proof that you're defending your interests over His, and you're you're accusing Him of not siding with you in your interests. Fine says it means to be anxious about to have a distracting care. It's derived from this Greek word is derived from two words. The first is through the idea of distraction, which is solicitude. The solicitude is defined as an attitude expressing excessive attentiveness to something. And It comes to, from the root word, to part, a part, to part, to apportion, bestow, share, figure, to to disunite, to separate into parts. Robertson says this word, careful, is an old word for worry and anxiety. And it means to be divided, to be distracted. (laughs) Oh God. What was it that was dividing her from Jesus? What was it that was distracting her from him? Ministry. Ministry that she was putting ahead of him. Putting ahead of spending time with him. Ministry that was her priority because it was the device she was using To profit herself in God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17? When he said, But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding the cattle in the field, when he has come in from the field, would say to him, Go and clean up. Come and fix for me and serve me. And afterwards then you can feed yourself. Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded to do? I don't think so. Because he said, after you've done all you've been commanded to do, you're expected to declare, I'm an unprofitable servant. That's not a negative statement. It is a declaration. I have done this in faith and in submission and obedience to you, Father. And I have not gained anything because it was not my motive to gain anything. And I acknowledge that I could not and did not gain any personal profit out of this. All I did in my obedience was demonstrate my faith, my submission. And my priority. Okay. The word troubled. <laughs> Strong says it means to bother, to distract, to trouble. It's a word for tumult. Robertson says, Martha had both inward anxiety and outward agitation. And if you've got inward anxiety, it doesn't make take much to trigger that into an expression of outward agitation. The word anxious denotes the inward uneasiness, troubled, the outward confusion and bustle. The mind is divided. The spirit is thrown into tumult. One reference work says you're troubled or your mind is turbid. Turbid is the adjective that describes muddy water. Muddy water. Often, if the ground of a river, the bed of a river is not rocky, if it's mud, the water flowing picks up particles, stirs up the bottom, and those particles gets all mixed up in in, in all the turbulence. And you can't see in it. You can't see through it. But if you took a beaker of that water and brought it into a place where there's no movement and sit it down. When you leave the room, the water is muddy and you can't see through it. But if it's allowed to sit and rest, you come in the next morning and that water will be just as clear as it can be. And all of that stuff that was suspended in it that caused it to be confusing, unclear, muddy, difficult to see through would all be on the bottom. And if you carefully pour that clear water from that beaker into another one, you can sift out all that stuff and throw it away. And the water is now clear and it will stay clear. And when you've got anxiety, you've got confusion. Your mind and spirit is turbid. All this stuff is all stirred up in you. And you can't get clear direction. And you can't hear the voice of God. And you can't get any peace. And you don't know what's going on in your life. Because you're just so overwrought in everything. And he said... Be still and know that I'm God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How does all that stuff come? Because as you're waiting, as you're still in your spirit before God, You've cast all this stuff on him, and you've gotten still. You've committed it all to him, and you've gotten still. You've submitted to his righteousness instead of trying to earn through your own righteousness. You've gotten still. He that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. You've gotten still. And when you get still, all that stuff will slowly begin to precipitate out. And settle in the bottom. And the more that precipitates out. And settles in the bottom. The clearer that water becomes. And all the confusion leaves. And all the doubt about what do I do. What do I do. Goes away. Because you can see so clearly. But Martha. Martha. She couldn't see what was going on in her life. She could, she couldn't, she didn't have a right perspective because her motives were wrong and she had her own self-interest and she was so full of anxiety that everybody wasn't going to cater to her interests and what she thought was important, what her priorities were. So everything is confused inside and everything's all up in the air. There's no clear direction and, and there's agitation on the outside and you become very sensitive to the slightest touch. Got sore elbows. What does this button do? What does this button do? Nuclear Holocaust, that's what it does. And everything in your path gets destroyed because somebody knowingly or unknowingly pushed the wrong button. They didn't realize how how close you were to losing it. And you say to that person, You're a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. (laughs) how'd you like to be in Martha standing there in front of Mary with Jesus saying this stuff to you oh God (laughs) let me tell you something about Jesus Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And he is more than willing to keep your business between him and you. But if you're going to make your business public, he's going to deal with it in public. You want to go to him in private? You want to deal with him in private? You want, to take, you want to keep your problems between you and him and pursue dealing with them? But if you're not going to deal with them in private instead of ignore them and avoid them, you will eventually allow that stuff on the inside to manifest outside. And when it does, it's not going to be pretty. And he's not going to deal with it privately anymore. You had your chance. Now, what if you were Jesus? You emptied yourself of glory, was manifested on this earth, on a cross, died for mankind. He was the man; part of it was all man. lived without a wife, than any female companionship for his entire life. Never had any natural children. Never got to experience any of those joys of being a human. His whole life was dedicated to one purpose. Redeeming mankind. All that humanity had to lay everything about being a normal human on the line. For you and me. And you've done all of that. Shed your blood. Was buried. Resurrected sent your spirit back to these people, gave them your name, your blood, all that. And all you ask of them is just to submit themselves to you and to put him, you, and your kingdom as their priority. That's all. He paid all the price. It's a wonder any of us are saved today. Because if we were that God, we'd have done something about it before now. But here's the problem. I'm getting back to these notes in a minute, I think. Here's the problem. You're God. You've sworn with an oath to Abraham. That there was, going to, there was going to be a blessing of Abraham that was going to come on the earth. That was going to cause the seed of Abraham to be two types of seed in abundance no man could count. Sand of the seashore, stars of heaven. And you've sworn with an oath. And that oath you swore to says if I don't do this, I'm not God. And whoever I've got to find to be willing for me to do this through them, because I cannot do this by myself, I'm I'm going to do this through somebody. And the people I'm trying to do it through are more interested in being Martha than Mary. What kind of place does that put you in? Oh, wait, let's just for a moment. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. I'll just read it so you'll know that I'm not making this up. Galatians three fourteen, please. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing of Abraham? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Lord has sworn with an oath to Abraham that there is going to be a massive outpouring of the Spirit. Nothing similar to that has happened yet. Everything that's ever happened is very preliminary in a proportion-wise to what God promised Abraham. And you're God. You swore with an oath. If I don't do this, I cease to be deity. And he can't do oops. I didn't really mean that. So my dear brothers and sisters, you can keep on playing Martha if you want to. But he's going to find some Mary someplace that's willing to be prayers that are willing to participate with him Because the clock's ticking, and the time is really close to when he's ready to begin this. And just like on the first first day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out on prayers, this last day promise is going to be given to prayers, not churchgoers because prayers go to church but not all churchgoers pray and he's going to pour this out on the prayers ready Luke 10:42 hear the word of the lord but one thing is needful, Martha. Let's read verse 41 one more time. I need verse 41, please. What? 41. Is that, is that, I'm sorry, is that it? Okay, couldn't see the one back there. Looked like a zero. And Jesus answered and said unto her, my apologies. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Next verse. But one thing is needful. He really did care about what Martha was going through. But he wasn't compromising the truth to appease Martha. One thing is needful. Several translations put it this way, and it's got to be the most accurate way of putting it. But of one there is need. You're careful and trouble, full of care and trouble about many things, but of one there is need. And Mary hath chosen that good part. Which shall not be taken away from her. But of one there is need. But of one there is need. But of one there is need. The word need means necessary, essential for life. The word chosen is the same word that's used in, the, in us being elected by God. We are the election. Vine says, it means to choose for oneself, not necessarily implying the rejection of what is not chosen, but choosing with the subsidiary ideas of kindness, of favor, of love. In other words, her choosing Jesus didn't mean that she rejected the importance of what Martha was doing. That's what the word means. She didn't reject what Martha was doing. She just made a decision based on priority she had the option to spend those moments at Jesus' feet or doing ministry. And at that time, the priority for her was she needed to be with Jesus. She needed to be with Jesus. I love this word right here. I love this word. She has chosen the good part. This word part is a portion, a share. Get this. It is a part as distinct from the whole. It is an assigned part, a portion, a share. You and I, every one of us, have an assigned part, portion in God and His kingdom. And there's no competition with anybody else over our part. The only question is whether we will choose that part or portion over everything else. And all the other good things that we need to be involved in. Things we, family, ministry, all of that. That we put that part as the priority in that list. And that if there's a decision that needs to be made, that's the part that always comes first. Portion or share. Every one of us is uniquely created by God to be the exact piece necessary to fit in our place in God's big picture puzzle. You aren't the picture. I'm not the picture. No local church is the picture. The picture on the box of this puzzle of God is the church universal as it fits in the kingdom of God and the plan and purpose of God. But every one of us is uniquely designed by God to be a piece in that big picture. But we don't come out of the box where we would fit exactly in that hole that's designed for us. So God allows things to happen in our life that takes away the things that are not of Him and are not a part of His plan to perfectly shape us so that we fit seamlessly without having to be forced perfectly in that hole he's designed for us in his big picture. And the only way you can be perfectly shaped to fit in that big picture is to be submitted to God and his righteousness and to seek him and his kingdom first before everything else. It's, this isn't saying family's not important. This isn't saying that ministry's not important. It's saying He's more important than all of this. Because without Him, none of this has the meaning that it's supposed to have. Therefore, it doesn't have the significance it's supposed to have. Therefore, it will never be as fulfilling as it's supposed to be. And it will never accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Every father is given the great privilege of attempting to be an earthly demonstration of the love and care and doing the work of the heavenly father. None of us have ever done it perfectly. Not anywhere remotely close. But we've been given that privilege Children are born and the wife goes to the jaws of death. Some even die from it to birth those children. And then the mother nurtures them, gets them to a certain place. But something begins to happen around puberty. And at that point... Mama start to supposed to start letting go, and let Dad be the primary one here. Because mothers can't make men out of men and women out of women. Mothers can't make men out of boys and women out of girls. It's not the design. It's not the plan of God. She births them. She nurtures them. But when puberty hits they begin to kick off the cocoon of mothers nurturing and mothers who try to hang on, destroy themselves and their children. And at that point, dad takes over. And dad, dad no longer says, oh, baby, come here. Let me kiss you, boo-boo. Dad said, get up, boy. What's your problem? You think it's the only time you're ever going to fall? It's just a little scratch. You're not dying. Hard? Harsh? No. But a mother can't nurture a boy into a man, nor nurture a girl into a woman. And a dad and a mom are both supposed to work themselves out of a job. Get this now, and in a very real sense, God does the same thing because he grows you up to the place that you stop being needy, you quit being a receiver, and you start being a giver, you stop being a conduit, and you become, excuse me, a container, and you become a conduit. That's God's plan for your life. The good part. The good part won't be taken away. I don't know if Martha was there when Jesus said these things. I don't know if she was. She didn't listen. But Jesus tried to help all of us with Martha's problem. Matthew eleven twenty eight. please. I don't know what time it is, so make sure nobody tells me. Because I don't want to start feeling sorry for you until Jesus, he has to stop. Listen to what he says now. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you study the references on this, not only word studies, but the commentators, they will all tell you this isn't talking about sinners or two sinners. This is talking about believers who are laboring under the expectation of religiosity, of religious tradition and religious culture. And they're heavily loaded down with this. And there are Martha, if I can be so blunt to put it that way. And Jesus says to the Marthas, those that are trying to earn or deserve because of their service, those that are trying to win God's approval because of their service, and because individually we're all sons of God. I'm gonna tell you, let me tell you about sons. I never raised a daughter, but my wife and I raised two boys. And let me tell you something. I've told this story many times, because this is this is exactly the way it is. <laughs> if I had a thousand dollars for every time one of my sons said "Watch, Dad," I'd be a very wealthy man. Because there's something about sons. If they have any respect for Dad, they try to win his approval by their performance. People used to feel sorry for my sons. They played basketball nine years apart for our Christian school. But they felt sorry for my sons. because you could hear my mouth. They'd want to pull that fancy stuff, do that finger roll right over the edge of the rim, and that was okay if it worked, but if it didn't, but here's here you could hear here it would come. Use the backboard. And everybody would cringe. Use the backboard. Make the easy play. Quit trying to make it look hard. Bottom line? There's been no point in my life I could ever even come close to playing basketball as good as either one of them. But I knew how it was supposed to be played. And I'm dad. Now, when they got married, I stopped that, tried to. As wives don't take real good to you doing that with their husbands. I mean, I don't sit over here and say, is that the best you can do tonight? Well, if you ask either one of them, they think that's what I'm saying. And we may discuss some things privately, not in front of their wives. Pressure. Pressure. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And you've probably heard me explain this, and so just just take a breath while I'm telling everybody else this. What the, <laughs> the word laden there is actually a nautical term. And it describes the, everything that's in a ship, the laden of a ship. And in nautical architecture, a ship is designed to have a certain amount of laden if it's going to be stable in the water. If it's empty, it sits too high, and it's unstable in a storm, it'll capsize. So those of you that don't want any problems in your life, you're asking to drown. Because the first storm that comes, you have no stability. But the Lord was talking about people in the other direction who had too much laden. The waterline of a ship isn't there for decoration, decoration. The nautical engineer who designed that ship He said if that ship is sitting in the water where that water line is at, where the water is at the water line, that is the most stable position for that ship. You don't want that line below the surface of the water. You don't want it too far above the surface of the water. It can handle just about anything with a good captain on board. Any kind of storm out there has a great chance of surviving with a good captain on board if it's sitting at the water line. Those big old waves come, all that stuff. All you do is turn the bow into the storm. You don't run from the storm. You turn the bow into the storm. Turn your bow into the waves. You head into the storm. And that ship is designed to survive the storm if it's properly loaded. But here's what the Lord says. Come unto me all you that labor are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. That word rest there means the cessation of all labor. So before he can get you stable, he's got to empty you of everything that you've loaded you with. Expectations and pressures he didn't put there. And then to load you with the proper stuff, he Tells us the next verse. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest under your souls. Remember what Martha said? Tell her to come help me. Where you take the other side of it. Tell her to come take the other side of this load. We can do it together because I can't handle it by myself. There are some men, stupid enough, I guess, maybe there are a few ridiculous specimens that could pick up a couch by themselves and move it. You might carry a couch by yourself, but you can't get it to a door by yourself without tearing something up. Because to get a couch through a door, you gotta, you gotta have, you, you gotta do it by the ends. Because if you're big enough to carry it by yourself, you're not big enough to walk through that door with it. Or you're too big to walk through the door with it. So Martha says, I need somebody on the other end. Oh Martha, you're so right. But it's not Mary you need on the other end of this this ministry. It's not Mary you need working with you. Because Jesus has got a yoke and he's inviting you to get in to the other end with him. And while we're all yoked up here together, This one you're trying to work for and earn stuff with. You get yoked up with me. We'll not only get stuff done. But you're going to learn about me. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to have a relationship. That's why we talk about being married to a believer with an unbeliever. is being unequally yoked together. You're yoked together. But you don't plow an ox and ass together. That's unequally yoked. You can plow An old oxen with a young oxen, but that's not unequally yoked. In fact, the farmers always did that. They put the old oxen and knew what he was doing with the young oxen with all that strength and no experience. And then all the young oxen had to do was just stay in step with the old oxen. And the load would be easy and the burden would be light. And while you're at it, with me helping you and you helping me, because we're in this together, fellow laborers together in the kingdom, you're going to be learning this about me, that I'm meek. And that word in the Greek means gentle. Oh, he needs to teach that to the doctors that prod and poke you. Does this hurt? Because he's gentle. Gentle. He's gentle. And the next one is the most important of the two, probably, in my humble opinion. Whatever um degree of humility there is in that, God knows. Lowly in heart means that he is humble. And what does it mean that God is humble? Because we think humility is thinking negatively about yourself. Brother J.T. Pugh said to me, and I'm sure he said it to others, said it publicly, but he said it to me. He said, biblical humility is not thinking disparagingly of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. It's not thinking how this is going to affect me or profit me or hurt me or whatever. You just do what God says and leave the outcome to him and the impact it has on him. Let trust your father what that impact is going to be. And don't judge the impact by today. Give it a time to work out. I'm going to tell you something right now. Have you ever taken medicine that made you feel bad before you felt good? Have you ever gotten a case of the flu from a flu shot? Some things the Lord brings our way don't improve our life initially because that medicine's got to do some work for a while before the true good is manifested. So what does it mean God is humble? It means just like me ranting and raving in that all altar area that day about God calling me to do this and not giving me enough money to do it and blah, blah, blah. I'm still here. You know why I'm still here? Because he's lowly in heart. What does that mean? That God is humble enough that he doesn't need to retaliate against every stupid thing we do or say when we accuse him and charge him foolishly. And you and I are here today after all the antics we've pulled at some time in our life. And if you tell me you've never pulled any stupid spiritual antics, you lie through your teeth. But we're here today because God is humble enough to love us in spite of that and give us some chance, some time, some space. And get this, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And that Greek word rest there is not the same word that's translated rest in the previous verse. The previous verse says you're going to rest from all your labor, everything. You're going to rest completely, meaning he's going to empty out of you all that stuff that's got you stressed out, all that stuff that's wrong priorities and wrong understanding and wrong motives and all that. He's going to take all that out of there, and then you and him are going to get hooked up in a Yoke, and together you're going to be in this thing and you're going to learn about each other and now this word rest means rest not from your labor but rest in your labor which is true biblical Christianity I'll never leave you nor forsake you lo I'm with you always even unto the end of the world without me you can do nothing separate with any kind of separation between you and i you can't do anything but if we're connected you can i can do anything through you anything he that believeth on me john uh 14:12 he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i'm going to my father At that day, you will be in the Father, and I'll be in you, and you will be in me. Hello? Martha? Mary's chosen the good part. And as long as it's her choice, there's not... There's absolutely nobody that can take that away from her. In Jesus' name, when you go home, let this word work in your life and choose him. If you choose him, that doesn't mean you'll do nothing else. But if you choose him, you will do it with him. He will do it through you. There will be no pressure. This is a statement I make that I see that unbelief in people's eyes, they just can't identify with it and they don't believe it. That's your problem. Because I'm telling you right now, this is absolutely the truth. Since August of 2003, I have lived... Completely without pressure. And I'm telling you right now, it is absolutely the will of God for you to live without pressure. Because pressure builds up in a conduit because of resistance. Pressure is always a part of resistance. If you hook a hose up to a faucet out of the yard, you turn that hose on, the water will go... But you put a resistor called a nozzle on the end of that hose and you begin to crank down the amount of space available for that water to come out. The water the water pressure coming from the source through that hose begins to build up. Pressure begins to build up. And then in order, because because there is an opening, even if it's a restricted opening, because there's an opening and there's pressure built up, that water is going to be squeezed out of that hole and it will shoot a lot farther, less volume, because you can't get the same volume per second out of the this restriction of the nozzle that you can out of the hose without a nozzle. But you can shoot it farther if that's what you want. But let's face facts. That water under pressure can potentially do a lot of damage if it's not handled properly. A fire hose that can be turned on a building, shoot water up in a building to help put out a fire, has been used against humans. And you can get hurt if if you have a water, a fire hose pointed at you because the amount of water that's coming in the pressure that's coming oh god you ready you put a preacher in the pulpit under pressure and he will hurt people it does not matter what his desire is. It doesn't matter how much he prays. It doesn't matter if what he's saying is a rhema of God. He cannot control the damage because he has put the flow under pressure. You take all the human restriction off the flow and let it flow out. And then it's the source that decides the amount of the flow. And whatever happens then, good or bad, the conduit, the hose is totally innocent. The source takes all the responsibility for it. But if the conduit restricts the exit and builds up pressure, you may still be a conduit, but that water's going to come out in a forceful manner that God didn't intend and it's going to hurt people I've lived like that and I can't tell you the number of times while the flow was there and I was trying my best to be obedient to the voice of God and hear and repeat what God was saying because of the stuff in my life that was causing pressure to the conduit. It would force the water out. The flow of word out harder than God intended. And then I would go home. And want to lock myself in the, away. Or didn't want to talk to anybody. Because I'd sit there and just grieve over the damage I'd done. And there wasn't anything I could do about it. Without dealing with the pressure and when I didn't know what to do with the pressure because I didn't understand what was wrong and I didn't understand what was causing the pressure. You talk about shame. Not excusing it, but this is the only way the Lord has been able to help me to forgive myself for that. I was only doing the best I could at the time. Was that the, the way it should have been done? No. No, it wasn't. But I had no capability of doing it differently because I had stuff going in, on inside of me I did not understand and didn't know how to fix and it kept me under pressure and therefore the word couldn't come out as gently as he wanted it to come out. I've done it. I've done it. I live a life without pressure because I I seek to be pressure free. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 3.11. Seek peace and ensue it is King James language. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace and pressure are exact opposites. If you got pressure, you don't have peace. If you got peace, you don't have pressure. You, they don't coexist. By definition, they can't coexist. So you seek peace and pursue it. Because by having peace, you're not under pressure. And then, however, the word comes out. And if I get in the pulpit without pressure, and all of a sudden, something rises up inside. Just... I don't go home and feel guilty. No, I don't. Because I know that wasn't a product of my pressure. That was the authority of God who can choose to reprove or rebuke or exhort through this conduit. And it's all his choice. And this is true whether you're witnessing to somebody, teaching a home Bible study, leading a home group, preaching a preaching point, daughter work, congregation, church, conference, convention. It's the same in all those situations. Whether you're parenting, being a husband or a wife, If you're an authority figure in any situation, and if you're teaching a Bible study or witness, you're an authority figure. God is using you as a child of God, and every son of God has authority, and he's speaking through you. If you're in an authority capacity, and you're supposed to be ministering to your wife, to your children, to a lost soul, in a Bible study, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got pressure. It ain't coming out right. And you don't know the number of times that he came spewing out. And I'm thinking, oh God, that's not what I meant to say. And that's not how I meant to say it. What? I was under pressure. I was frustrated. And I affected the flow. And it what meant was meant for life became damaging. When you're doing spiritual warfare. In those seasons when a special anointing comes for you to speak to the adversary, something rises up from inside you and it sounds like you are angry. And there is a forcefulness and an authority behind that. And you know how you know that's God? Because when you, through praying you, you're fine. Everything's fine. Because you're not only praying God's words, you're praying with God's feelings. His feelings. And using His authority. But you can't trust that. If you live a life under self-imposed pressure, and hear me right now, there's no other kind of pressure a child of God is under but self-imposed pressure from self-established expectations. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find, in the Greek word there is obtain, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. It's comfortable. It fits well. It doesn't bind. And my burden is light because it's my strength that's pulling the yoke. All you have to do is stay in step with me on your side of the yoke. You don't get ahead of me or behind me. You don't try to turn when I'm not turning. and You don't try to go straight when I'm turning. You just stay in step with me in, in speed and direction. And all of your problems... Won't even feel like they're back there. Why is this important? Because as long as you carry your own burdens and try to fix your own problems, and therefore when you pray, you're primarily praying about your burdens. And problems and pressures that you have not cast on God, and you have not sought peace. God will never truly give you the burden of prayer for His kingdom, the spirit of prayer for His kingdom, while you persist in hanging on to your problems, your cares, your self interest, your trouble. It is either or. And the very fact you spend most of your time asking him to fix your stuff is the reason you don't have a spirit of prayer to pray for the lost. So the, the, the condition for going home and exercising this spirit of prayer is you spend time with Jesus. And as I taught the other day, you, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. How? By casting all your care, because if you keep the care, you'll be careful, full of anxiety, and anxiety causes pressure, and pressure causes frustration, frustration wears you out, it exhausts you, and you will eventually give up and quit, and you'll quit just about the time it was harvest time. But if you cast the care, 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 cast it, cast that care, cast that care, cast it, cast that care, cast that care. You keep yourself pressure-free. Free. You cast all the by spending. If you're trying to cast your care without being in His presence, it doesn't work. You're only empowered and enabled to cast your care by choosing the good part, by being in His presence. And in His presence, you will be empowered to cast your care. Cast your care. Cast your care. care. And when you cast your burdens on Him, He'll trust His light burden to you. You mean seeing the lost save as a light burden? Light because you won't be carrying that burden by yourself. You'll be in the yoke with him. And he will give you the burden and the spirit of prayer to be a fellow laborer with him to take care of his burdens. And God will do great things. Father, I thank you. Thank you father. Thank you father for speaking to us today. I pray right now for the grace to be able to receive this. I loose the spirit of grace upon every one of us that's hearing or have heard or will hear this message that we will have the grace to receive it and let it the word work its Work in us. Fulfill your will in us, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hikata halororobu kura tatai. Tie kalorota bukura batahai. Tie kai alaratatahai. kabatosi. E kala Loroto to Tatahaya. Hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah Ti kala ro lo ro bu kurata tata haye Ti ka ma ma my god my god. Ikata rararata torotobokora tatay. Tie kala rararata rarata tatay. Raroro Ha. Tie katara rararata torotoro bokora tatay. Tie kala roto bokora my, my, my. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. He take the ekaarata, lororoto, bute tietai. tata In Jesus name. In Jesus name hellotataha se flow river of life, flow river of life flow flow river of life, bring life everywhere you flow, flow in me and every part of me, and bring life to every part of me. And death to every bit of self-will. In Jesus' name, flow, river of life. In Jesus' name, flow, river of life. Rabatahaya, ratababakasahaya. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Itatie kata tabababahaya, lodo lobo koratatahaya. Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. Hallo lolo bukurata tahaia. Ti hey ki kala rata tahaia. Ti Hey, ki he kitanana haya. Halo robo kora tatabasi. Ma yamana mahaya, la ratamana mahaya. Thank you father. 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 Hallelujah. Now I'm going to state the obvious. Wow. What a spirit of revelation there was in, in this session. I don't look for the amens. I don't listen for the amens, the head nods. What I look for is the light that comes in the eyes. Because when light explodes in your soul, flows out of your eyes you can see when the light comes on what a a spirit revelation the Lord ministered through today but oh let me tell you about a revelation there's so many things God has revealed to us that we lost because we heard it we knew it was a revelation but we didn't take that revelation and nurture it. We didn't nurture it. A revelation is not truly yours because you heard it and God gave you the revelation or the understanding of what he was saying. It only become yours when you take it after the fact. And you spend time with it and you listen to it and you... Study it yourself, and you read the words, and you pray, and you just let it marinate in your soul. And there comes a point where it stops being, you stop attributing it to the person that was the conduit, and now it's your revelation. And who sowed the seed is absolutely irrelevant because it's your revelation. And if you don't do this with this revelation the price you will pay is the spirit of prayer that was poured out here last night. Your portion of it will be lost. Because this was the revelation that's going to enable you to keep the spirit of prayer. And the Lord will give you some time, you see. Won't leave immediately. While you allow the revelation to work in you and and fine-tune your position in him so that you can be used to max capacity by that spirit of prayer. But if you do not, if you do not nurture this revelation so that it becomes your revelation, you will lose everything that you have gained this week. Everything. It's treasure. This is treasure. Revelation is treasure. Treasure it. Treasure the treasure. So many times God has given me revelation. And here's the problem for me. He'll give me a revelation and then he'll minister that revelation through me. But that revelation doesn't affect my life. And I may, re- I may be called on by Him to minister that revelation, to let the flow of the Spirit impart that revelation in m- on many occasions. But that revelation never affects me until I, after the fact, take the revelation and personal, make it personal and let it do the work in me that everybody else has to do in them. So receiving a revelation and ministering a revelation doesn't mean the revelation is fact in me. And I can't tell you the years of lost benefit from revelation because either I didn't understand that or wasn't willing to pay the price for it. I beg of you, you don't want to look back on lost years with regret. You know, when you don't know what's going on and you don't understand what, what's happening to you and you don't know how to fix what's going on in your life, God's grace and mercy just just covers that. Just It's all okay. But when the day comes and he says, it's time, God says, it's time. I'm now going to explain to you what's going on and I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And now I'm expecting you to let me work this in you. I can't regret what I couldn't fix. I can only give thanks to God that he was able to help me survive all that time where I didn't know what was going on and didn't know how to fix it. But, oh, God, how difficult it is to make peace with the years that I've let some revelations not affect my life. And every time he would call on me to minister that revelation, and I'd say, oh God, oh God, oh God, I, I want this revelation to affect me. I would pray that, and it would be in my spirit while I was saying it, but I didn't follow up on it. I didn't go back and spend my time with it just like everybody else has to. If they're going to be benefited, that is an expensive lesson to learn if you didn't learn it and practice it. I cannot, I do not have the ability, and the Lord's not giving me the words to express to you the urgency that I feel in what's been said this morning. It's not just about you. It's just not it's not just about you not losing something. It's just it's about God not being able to do through you what he so desperately wants to do for his kingdom's sake. Father, help us. Father, help us. Help us. Help us, Father. Help us. Lord, when we leave here, today, tomorrow, whenever, those that are going home from out of town or those that are going home to where they live here, and we get back into our routine and we get back into our life and we get back into our stuff, oh, God, help us not to let this slip. Help us not to neglect so great a salvation. Help us, Father. We repent for having done it in the past. We repent, Father. Forgive us. We have done it in the past. We have not treasured the treasure you have given to us. Forgive us, Father. And grant us repentance that we might change, that we might do different starting this time in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Hikaha Sakata Tahaya, Hiki e Kusiki e Kahata Hasa, Robo Kuta Ha A Satahay e Loro Tusi Kuratahaya, Rataba Saya, Tiheika Loro Tata Saya, Tiheiki e Kahara Tata Jesus, 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 help us, Jesus, help us, Jesus, Savior, save us from ourselves, Savior, save us from our schedule, save us from our routine, save us from our carnal lifestyle, save us, Father, let us go from here walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit and continuing in the Word in the name of Jesus so that we can be your disciple. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. ita kasuko kie